from Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. Francis is out today. I'm your host, Marjorie Sunser. The House of Representatives just passed the $1.9 trillion pandemic stimulus bill. President Biden is expected to sign the bill into law tomorrow. The bill includes a billion dollars for the Technology Modernization Fund and paid sick leave for federal employees affected by coronavirus. Claire Martirana will be the new Federal Chief Information Officer. She previously served as CIO of the Office of Personnel Management. Fast Company reports Martirana also worked at the Department of Veterans Affairs with the U.S. Digital Service. The House Armed Services Committee is working to identify foreign dependencies in the defense supply chain. Representative Alyssa Slotkin says the committee is, quote, taking a really hard look at the defense supply chain. Inside Defense reports the Defense Critical Supply Chain Task Force will aim to include proposals in the next defense policy bill. The federal government has tried to make the senior executive service more inclusive, but Office of Personnel Management data shows minority representation in the program has not improved significantly. Here with recommendations for increasing diversity and inclusion in the federal workforce, Tyra Dent-Smith is executive director of the African American Federal Executive Association. She's a retired member of the senior executive service. Thanks for joining me. Why do you think uh, the effort to improve this area has not been su successful? Uh, thank you for having me, Marjorie. Um, I think that there are several contributing factors to, um, to that outcome. Certainly, it begins with creating an organizational and leadership culture that, um, that, that supports and values diversity and inclusion. Um, it's got to come from the top. I also think that um, ensuring that we are building a prepared pipeline within our federal agencies that uh, are capable and able to, com to be competitive for the senior executive service positions when they become available. Um, I, you know, I think we, we all know for sure that there's a finite number of senior executive slots in the federal government, and those slots are then allocated to the agencies. Um, and so agencies also have a finite number of opportunities to recruit for. And I think that there's an opportunity here for, for the government as a whole to uh, really begin to be more strategic about how those SES allocations are, um, are utilized and how we are recruiting to fill those. I think certainly there are opportunities for enhancements in the recruitment of senior executive service members. And, you know, of course, all of those um, factors I think will contribute to um, presenting a platform that will enable the government to increase the diversity at the senior levels. Do you think that there are a lot of disparities uh, among agencies? Are there some agencies that are able to do a better job than others? Um, well, I think certainly every agency has its own culture, for sure. Um, I think that there are best practices that exist in some agencies with regard to their recruitment, uh, and solicitation of senior executive members, how, how far they reach for executive members, um, the, the bench strength that they're creating within their agencies for employees to be competitive again in that market. So yeah, I do think that there are some differences and, and those policies and procedures are within each federal agency. 
Are there um, are there government-wide policies you think that um, maybe are, are stifling these efforts that maybe need to be changed? Well, I think that it's certainly, um, we are at a point, I believe, and we've been at a point where I think there needs to be a closer look, absolutely. Uh, a closer dig into the policies. I think that some of what is going on or, or agencies are required now to do under the president's uh, day one executive order on creating racial equity uh, in all of government. So I think an examination of policies will certainly help to uncover and identify and target where there are opportunities to really hone in and, and make some, some adjustments, some operational adjustments that will enhance that. Uh, Tyree, you touched a little bit on recruiting. Are there particular recommendations you have there on how the government can improve its approach to recruiting? So I think certainly um, one of my colleagues said it best recently. We were on a, on a panel together uh, and, and he coined a statement that said, uh, if you fish in the same lake, you're gonna get the same fish. I think for recruitment in um, our, our senior executive service, while we allow vacancies in most instances to be open for extended period of time, generally 30 to 45 days, I'm not convinced that they're reaching um, certainly a diverse enough pool. Um, I think that there is opportunity for us to really uh, just dig in, lean in, and, and form partnerships with organizations um, that can certainly support and enhance and enable a wider and broader um, solicitation for these opportunities. We do a lot of that within the African American Federal Executive Association. We do share uh, executive announcements with our member body. Uh, I think other organizations like AAFEA do some of the same, but I think it's going to take that kind of concerted effort. And, and there are many other organizations that agencies can partner with or reach out to, to support ensuring that these opportunities um, reach a broad, broad audience. What about the retention piece? Uh, what can be done there to try to make sure people people stay and people make it to those kind of top levels? Yeah, so retention is certainly um, a hot item and has been for some time. Uh, we, we are seeing some, some data now that suggests that um, federal employees are leaving at a higher rate than we are hiring them in. And so that certainly is a call for action and a call for an attention to understand what that is about and how we can be more proactive in terms of reining that back in. I think in terms of retention, uh, employees want to feel like they belong. They want to feel that um, what they bring to the table, the skills, the competencies, the capabilities are valued by the organization and that they have an opportunity to really showcase uh, their strengths in their work. Uh, we, we have somewhat of a challenge now facing us with regard to uh, our, um, rea our responses to COVID-19 and the implications and impact that that has had on the federal workforce in terms of, of just more widespread telework, um, which in by and large um, is, is a good thing, I think in many regards, but, um, and I think that that actually is a, 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 a leg of the retention strategy, if you will, a prong in it. I think creating 
more flexible workplaces is certainly an attraction to people who are looking um, for employment and particularly in the government and having that flexibility to balance and manage um, work life and family life is is huge. But I think that there are other other aspects within the workplace that are more individual to our employees that will certainly help um, with retention. And um, I think embedded in that should certainly be um, broader communications and management training around um, employee engagement. And we're seeing and hearing in literature now the need to be more empathetic as a leader. Um, people want to feel um, that kind of, of organizational culture because we spend so much time in our work life. So it's important that, that these factors, that, that employees have an opportunity to experience those, those um, factors in the workplace. Thank you so much, Tyra. Sure. Up next, addressing the out-of-pocket cost difference for uniforms for men and women in the military. Straight ahead on Government Matters, how the Pentagon can make uniform costs more equitable. You're watching WJLA 24-7 News. Members of the military pay out of pocket for some parts of their uniforms, but the cost can vary significantly. The Government Accountability Office says the Defense Department can do more to track these cost disparities and address them. Tina Juan Sherman is Acting Director for Defense Capabilities and Management Issues at GAO. Thanks for joining me, Tina. You looked at the cost disparities among services and genders. What did you find? Well, Congress asks us to look at the costs of uniform items uh, that are paid out of pocket by enlisted service members and officers. They were interested in this in particular because uniforms are an important part of the military experience and they wanted to see whether or not there were cost differences that exist across the services and between females and males. Uh, additionally, the department has a set of principles that guide its compensation for the military, one of which is equity. And uh, that principle closely ties the morale of service members to a sense of fairness. So the greater the fairness, uh, the greater um, and higher the morale. So when we looked at this issue, we found that although females and males both pay out of pocket for some uniform items, female service members, enlisted and officers pay more out of pocket to replace those items than their male counterparts. And was that true uh, on, in all the services? Across the services, there were uh, differences, yes. Did, but did you also find differences in the services that perhaps in some the, the costs were higher than in others? Absolutely, we did. Um, there were uh, differences that ran the spectrum. For example, we looked at uniform items over the past five years. And in looking at those items, we found that uh, females were on average uh, paying more uh, than their male counterparts, between eight and 15% more out of pocket to replace those uniform items. You know, we're talking about the, the parts that they pay out of pocket for. Um, which uniforms are they responsible for buying out of pocket? They're responsible for, and we looked at all uniforms that you could think of from uh, combat uniforms to their dress wear. And so the uniform items include everything from hats and shirts uh, all the way to socks, um, shoes and you know, dress coats. 
Did you get a sense of what the total cost in a, in a year was for, for men and women in the service? Well, when we were looking at uh, the costs, for example, um, the uh, initial uh, items that are provided to on the enlisted service member side to them average between $1,600 and $2,400. Um, but then one thing, one analysis that we did carry out was we projected out-of-pocket costs over 20 years. And what we found was that uh, female enlisted service members, again, were paying uh, more out-of-pocket than males were, uh, as much as over $8,000 uh, to replace their uniform items. What recommendations did you make for how DOD can address this? We made three recommendations to the military services and one to the Department of Defense. The first two recommendations to the services were to develop consistent reasons for which uniform items they would pay to replace because we found inconsistency, of course, in those items. Uh, and then also to periodically review those items uh, to ensure uh, that there are uh, consistency in the payment that's provided to replace those items and also to help address any out-of-pocket differences that they might have identified as part of that periodic review. The third recommendation we made to the services was to submit a plan to the department for any proposed uniform changes that they made because we found that there were 18 uniform changes the services made over the past decade, uh, two thirds of which affected uh, both females and males, but a third that only affected females and that created a great impact on the female officers. So we uh, suggested or recommended that the services provide those plans with costs uh, estimated uh, in them to the department for review. And then because senior leadership is so important on this issue, we uh, recommended that the department review the plan uh, to determine whether or not there are any differences and to make suggestions in order to ensure equity and compensation. You note that they, they um, have been introducing these new pieces or requirements. I assume that typically increases the cost? Yes, um, that was something that, that we identified. And, and for enlisted service members, they would receive um, some type of money to replace or to purchase uh, new uniforms. But for officers, outside of an initial $400 that they receive when they report for active duty, they're expected to pay out of pocket to purchase any additional items, to replace uniform items, or when the services change the uniforms to purchase those new uniform items. And, and Tina, what was uh, DOD's response to your recommendations? Um, the department um, uh, had uh, several responses to our recommendations. Actually, I worked with a great team, and we were very excited to learn that uh, one of the services has already taken steps to implement our recommendations in terms of making uh, adjustments to the money provided to replace uh, certain uniform items. Um, and then specifically the department, uh, when reviewing our recommendations, uh, stated that they believed it was not appropriate to address any and all out-of-pocket cost differences um, for uniform items to replace them or if there were any changes and that they would develop a standard in order to determine which um, of those differences were the most significant and take action as a result. So we are very interested in watching uh, what the department develops in terms of that standard and how they will work to implement it. Thanks for joining me, Tina. Thank you.
Up next, tracking a possible surge in government IT spending. Straight ahead on Government Matters, the legacy systems in need of money first. Don't forget, if you missed an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. Updating legacy IT systems at agencies could get, soon get easier. The latest coronavirus relief bill will give a billion-dollar boost to the Technology Modernization Fund. Matthew Cornelius is executive director of the Alliance for Digital Innovation. He's former senior advisor for technology and cybersecurity policy to the federal chief information officer. Thanks for joining me. What updates do you have on uh, TMF in the coronavirus relief bill? Yeah, it's a really big day uh, seeing the billion dollars for the TMF. This is something that... Uh, I worked very hard on, and, and folks like Suzette Kent, Tony Scott worked very hard on when they were at OMB. And so it's a really excellent day, and there's a lot of opportunity ahead. I think the the real challenge and opportunity for OMB and GSA, now that they're going to have this infusion of capital, is to ensure that they have a robust selection of projects. And I think they're going to have to change the operating model of the TMF, probably going to have to loosen up uh, or suspend those repayment strings. I mean, Congress did give them this money under a COVID relief bill. And if they sit on that money and don't have good projects coming in, it's really going to be all for naught. So I think we would like to see uh, OMB and GSA sort of reform the program management office, um, suspend or update those repayment requirements, and really start making capital investments very quickly with this billion dollars. It's got to get out there fast. There's lots of issues that have been uh, that have come to the forefront over the past year of dealing with the pandemic. And we know that there are immediate needs in the in the federal IT and cybersecurity space. So I'd like to see them move smartly, but also quickly with these money, with this money. I certainly assume there's no shortage of projects that you think would be a good fit. Do they need to sort of open the aperture a bit to, to make sure they get those? I think so. Uh, so there's a couple of things. One is uh, OMB and GSA should have already been over the past year uh, scanning across the federal enterprise and looking at sort of common challenges or common opportunities that they've seen in agencies. And I think some of those are starting to, to come to the forefront. There's obviously issues with identity management made even uh, more pressing by the SolarWinds issue. Um, I think there's issues around collaboration tools and data sharing, um, um, improving and reforming sort of the, the centers of excellence and federal sort of websites and digital services. So there's going to be opportunity there, but I think I think it's going to be incumbent upon OMB and GSA to sort of stipulate where they want that money to go rather than sit around and wait for potential agency projects to come in. Sure. I was going to ask you what kinds of projects you think the agencies should prioritize. It sounds like you think um, maybe some projects that that have that address common issues. Is that is that right? Yeah, 100 percent. It's. Um, we really need to move away from the model of OMB and GSA sort of waiting for agencies to make project requests and instead flip it to where they look across the government and figure out what are the best sort of common areas to invest in. So this money, with its flexibility, and if they get rid of these sort of onerous and restrictive repayment requirements, can really accelerate shared services, accelerate common services. You've got to fund these multi-agency projects. Like, that's what this money's for. A lot of federal agencies over the past year have actually done pretty well in the federal IT space. Like a lot of these uh, pandemic relief bills, including the current one that's that's going to be signed by the president shortly, provide a lot of money for IT and cybersecurity upgrades at individual agencies. But there's still common challenges that we see across government, uh, like I said, around identity, collaboration tools, data and analytics. These are places where you can make multi-agency or, or government-wide investments that are going to benefit everyone and bring that bar up. 
it sounds like you see this as kind of a real opportunity to, to maybe leapfrog a bit. Yeah, 100 percent. And it's not just uh, it's not just the TMF money that's really going to help them get there. That is critical. And that billion dollars is, is incredibly important. But I actually think that the most sort of impactful investment uh, that we're going to see on the federal IT space from this bill is the $200 million that's going to the U.S. Digital Service. So for, for context sake and for historical sake, if you do the back of the napkin math, that's about that's about twice what USDS has been appropriated at for their entire history. So they're, they're getting a massive plus up in this bill. And it's a real signal from the Biden administration and from Congress that we need more good technical talent in agencies dealing with these problems, working with industry, and really focusing on citizen solutions and solving problems through digital services that can benefit the American people. So that's another critical element of this package that really needs to be elevated and talked about more. I think that's an important point. Um, you know, seeing this as a as a signal from the administration, from Congress, what will you be watching going forward in terms of of other opportunities for them to to make a difference there? Yeah, we've got a couple of big uh, muscle movements that are coming over the course of this year that I think are going to be incredibly important, and hopefully the Biden administration will keep their foot on on the pedal here. One is going to be their budget, and obviously it's a, it's a bit unique because it's the first year of an administration. They're having to undo the budget planning of the previous administration and try to get numbers out. But you know, critically, we're not under the budget caps anymore. We're not under sequestration. And, and I would assume that the Biden administration is not going to force agencies to take these sort of arbitrary 5% haircuts that the previous president's OMB did. So there's a real opportunity in that budget to put some big numbers behind multi-year appropriations for, for modernization really give agencies the, the transfer authorities they need to stand up those working capital funds that, that were called for in the Modernizing Government Technology Act. And so that's going to be incredibly important. Thanks so much, Matthew. Thank you, Marjorie. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. For a preview of each newscast, sign up for our daily program guide right now by texting GOVMATTERS to the number 58671. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join us weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 1030 on ABC7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Marjorie Sensor. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.